Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Senior Administrator here at the Hendricks Center. And today, we're going to be talking about reviving historic voices and why it is so important for the church to pay attention to her own history. We're joined by Troy and Elise Frazier. Troy is the children's pastor at Northside Christian Church. He, has, he wears a lot of hats right now. He's a student at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also the founder of Revived Studios, which is an effort to revive historic sermons and not allow them to be forgotten. And Elise serves alongside Troy and jumped into the studio with uh, Revived Radio and is going to be a part of launching another show very soon. So thank you so much for both of you being here and for joining us. Good to be hey, on. We're happy to be here. So could you just tell us a little bit more about yourselves, um, you know, kind of ministry, how you ended up in seminary, how you ended up as a children's pastor, what your um, hopes are for ministry, as well as, you know, how you got started with Revive Studios and, and kind of the heart and a little bit of a, the story behind that. Sure. Uh, I was raised in Florida, went to Calvary Bible College around 2011. I met Elise there and we got married in about 2014. Uh, about, I should know that better than that, but about 2014. <laughs> Approximately. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> and we've been married now for moving into our, like heading towards seven years. And mm -hmm. we've had two kids since then. But when we graduated Bible college together, we didn't realize it, but God was going to take us to a bunch of different places. Um, he took us to Orlando to work with at-risk youth from Miami. Uh, we ended up two years teaching in China with our daughter. That was a lot of fun, but a pretty crazy time too. And then we ended up, I was working a couple of years ago at a school downtown in Miami, as well as a teacher. So we were kind of jumping all over the place. And from there, I really had it on my heart to go to seminary, wanted to kind of further my mm -hmm. education and kind of finish up that. I felt like that was something God was calling me to. And I, I have a desire for that kind of stuff. And so we ended up at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And that's, that's where I'm working as a children's pastor. I've just always been teaching kids. So it just seemed like a really natural fit. Um, but at the same time, while we were in China, I just, we were thinking about how you, you're behind like a firewall and there's only so much information. People who don't know, China kind of controls what comes and goes through the internet. Mm -hmm. And there was just this idea of like, I wonder what stuff we're not getting access to because we've kind of built up our own, um, here's what we read and here's what we don't read. And something mm -hmm. I started looking at was these old sermons. And as I was kind of reading through sermons by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of these other people, I realized like, wow, it'd be so cool if we could listen to these sermons again and actually hear them as if they were being preached. And when me and uh, Joel, the other co-founder of Revive Studios, got together and started working on our podcast, Revive Thoughts, and we started fleshing it out. And it took a long time, about a year and a half to get it actually from the planning stages to the first episodes. Uh, we realized this is something really special and that these sermons, even though they're sometimes 100, 500, 1,000, I think our oldest sermon is 1,800 years old, it still applies today. The, the same truth that God was preaching then is still around today. So since we launched Revive Thoughts about a year and a half ago, now we've launched Revive Devos, which does daily devotional bits from wisdom of the past. Um, Elise jumped in with Revive Radio, and I can let you take care of why that show is what's going on with that one. Yeah, this one, uh, basically, it's the original voices that um, sometimes you don't know that they actually exist. For example, we have Jim Elliott. <laughs> D.S. Lewis, which I didn't even know that, I mean, Jim Elliott actually has a very booming voice and you wouldn't imagine huh. like, that he would have, like, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to see, like, you've done a lot of his, like, uh, or you've, you've heard a lot of his um, writings and things like that. You hear a lot about him, but you never heard his voice. And so he doesn't just sound like what you would imagine he would sound like. Like, it's just very, he's very mm -hmm. dynamic. He gets in there, he's got this deep voice and um, he's very, uh, 
very, very dynamic. And then you have like C.S. Lewis, who just kind of, he kind of brings you in the, the British kind of chill way, but he's just dropping truth bombs constantly. So it's kind of fun to hear like all the <laughs> different personalities shine through where you don't get it in necessarily the written format. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we take that, we take the audio, we, we enhance it. Sometimes it's really garbled. Sometimes like you have things that have been tacked onto it that don't make any sense. So we kind of edit those out. That's, um, that's the thing with the riot thoughts too. We have to edit the sermons as well when we get them. So a lot of times they're coming in from the 1500s. The English has changed a lot since then. And sometimes mm-hmm. the sermon was preached in the 1500s. The last person to touch it lived in the 1800s. So we're getting multiple layers of editing that have to be done. So we always modernize them so that they're easy to listen to, easy to speak for our speakers. Each episode has a different person come on. So uh, and if you're listening, that's three different podcasts we mentioned. We have three. We also have a fourth called Revive Thoughts Deep Dives. And we have multiple on the way. So we are trying as much as we can to bring as much church history to life and just bring it to people. Some people um, really love history. Obviously, there's like massive amounts of popular fiction and not even fiction, popular like nonfiction of history. Um, and so there are people who really love it. Others, and perhaps a majority <laughs> of people hear history and they think about some kind of eighth grade textbook that they were forced to, you know, read a seven pages of. And mm-hmm. they, and they're, like completely tune out <laughs> and are done because they think it's just yeah. dry and dusty and and all that. So I guess what is you know with y'all's effort of reviving these things, um, what do you say when people say, "Yeah, but like, why should I care? Why should I care about what they said? Why should I, we I, care about church history?" Yeah, I think there's uh, several good answers to that. In our case, with the with the old sermons we're doing and stuff like that. We care about a lot of what these guys have to say as theologians. You know, if I told you, oh, we just found a brand new book by Charles Spurgeon. It's getting published for the first time. Most people are like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to read that. Mm -hmm. What what did he say? What did some of these great theologians of the past say? But then when I look at them and I say like, you have a a whole volumes of sermons and we can turn them into audio at any time. People are like, oh, well, that's not, you know, I mean, it's probably not as important, but the sermons are applied theology. This is how they're telling you how to live out their great thoughts to the church that Mm -hmm. they would preach in and out of all day. I mean, Mm -hmm. most of these theologians were preachers before they were theologians. Also, church history, especially church history, is applied theology. You know, we can come up with ideas and we can talk and point at whiteboards and say, this is what justification means. And if you get this wrong, something bad will happen. But then you can look at history and go and see, here are the groups of people who got it wrong. And here's where it went wrong. Like, for example, John Gill in the 1700s was like, the Trinity is a very important doctrine. And if you don't get this right, you're going to lead yourself into deism and Unitarianism. And if you look at the 1700s, you can go exactly what happened. That is, he literally predicted because of that. And we can look back and see the different groups who got theology and pieces wrong and then where they ended up afterwards. So it's a really good uh, laboratory for us to study. But also, and this is just from scripture and from Christians, Hebrews 12, or sorry, Hebrews 12, it says, yeah, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses continues. Like the church is still around today. We still have the saints who have lived and had these inspiring lives and done these incredible, incredible things. And if you're someone who wants to be a preacher or in ministry, you should study the lives of some of the best people, Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, Hudson Taylor, these guys probably did it better than you'll ever do it. So you should make them your models. And at the same time, you can be so inspired by the things they live through. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm struggling with this or struggling with that right now. And, you know, I'm not super worried about the future because I've seen 
just how incredible some of these people and what these people have gone through. And I go, I know that the church and we can be okay if we, if we, we live out the same faith that the men and women that came before us did. And lastly, too, again, these, these stories are just very encouraging. You, you can, it's a very good apologetic for your faith. If you're ever questioning like, well, you know, is what I believe true? Look at church history and look at the people who laid down their lives and look at the people who lived and fought against the issues of their day. And you'll feel much more confident. Like, no, our faith is true. Look at all these people who've come before us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, there's uh, one, one of our church history professors here at DTS um, has said it was John Hanna and he has like, he's very famous for like having all of these like one liner kind of things. Um, but he said uh, in one of the, my classes, there are people in these old crusty books that I found that I could talk to and I found my refuge with them. And so even, you know, I think you're right. Like for, especially for people in ministry and um, preachers, particularly in what you all are, are dealing with, with the sermons. And there's definitely, you know, these are people who are, <laughs> who are very much still people. Oh, oh, what's the, oh, I guess Chesterton called it the democracy of the dead. Um, so like that, you know, there, you are a part of the church with them and they have things to say, um, that can help you and can help guide you, you know, but also for just a regular person who sits in the pew, you know, doesn't have any necessarily any role on Sunday morning or or anything like that. There are, there are people in church history that have gone through the doubts and the trials and the suffering um, that you have and, and that you can sit with them and sometime, and especially those with the, whose, um, writings have persisted, they, like, they usually have really good things to say to you, (laughs) you know, and it's lasted because it's so good, you know, and that's what I love about what you guys are doing is you're, you're highlighting some of those things that are just like so salty and good, you know, that shouldn't be lost. (laughs) Um, Elise, what are your thoughts? What are you, how do you, like, what do you find um, helpful and important about church history? Oh, well, I kind of think about it as like an interest in, you know, you're interested in your own family genealogy. People have, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's huge. People love to know where they come from. And in the same way, like, and even whether, how their country was founded, et cetera, we have interest in other aspects of history, but we kind of forget church history, even though like as an identity in your identity in Christ, like and all these Christians that came before you, you have a genealogy of Christian of, of Christian Christendom, I guess you would say. Um, and so you can kind of like look back and be like, okay, this is why this happened, and this is why this happened, and this is where this doctrine came from. This is where so kind of a it gives you more of an idea behind the people who were who were you know there leading the way, leading the charge for these different things that happen that affect your life today and how we view things and just the different the different way we interact in like the the modern church it comes about from these people of the past kind of like forging the way for things we, we don't even understand and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like lost. Yeah. And I really, I really love, actually, I really loved your laboratory, um, like model and, and thought about applied theology. I'm totally stealing that. Um, cool. I'll give you credit where, it, where is necessary, but <laughs> I really love that model. And I also love what you said about genealogy and that we're, you know, all a part of one family and um, it makes me think of the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, and, and the passages, 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Timothy 1, where basically we're told, like, listen, this is what's been passed on to you. You know, like, your, your um, 
fathers and brothers in the faith and sisters and mothers <laughs> in the faith have, um, have, have passed these things on to you. And now, now it's your duty to protect and preserve those things. And it is your duty to pass them on. You know, like you are now guard. You have been, you know, appointed to stand guard of these truths and this history and, and all of these things. And now it's in to stand guard and to pass it on. You know, and so that makes me think of, like of that too. It's like, this is your family duty. This is one of the things that you have to do. Yeah, and I liked what you said about um, the applied theology and the laboratory. And, and it also kind of, you know, serves as like warnings, you know, like there, it lets you have these like red flags that come up and you're like, hold on, we've yeah. been here before. <laughs> like this kind of thing has happened before. So yeah, that's- God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. That's fascinating. Um, so why do you guys think that we, we uh, I'll include lots of people, even though I'm kind of a history junkie at times, um, <laughs> why, why have we not cared? And why has the evangelical church kind of not cared? And, and I'll say like, up until maybe about 10, 15 years ago, because I think there's definitely been a lot of things that have come out and I don't want to like cast aspersion on the current sure. church. Like that's unfair. Cause like right now there's a lot like of what you guys are doing and valuing church history, but why for a while was it not something like I wasn't raised. I didn't know who Augustine was. I didn't know who Spurgeon was. You know, I wasn't raised with any of those voices. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny you say you didn't know, because when I came out of Bible college, I thought I'd gotten a pretty good education and I loved history and I took all the history classes. So I thought, oh, this will be a piece of cake. And when I started the show, I very quickly realized I don't know even 1% of the real heroes of our faith. There are mm -hmm. so many amazing people that I could list off that I learned about from this show. And I was like, where, who was hiding all these guys? And then Elise does a lot of the guys from the early 1900s. And every time she mm -hmm. brings a new person to me, I was like, he's so cool. How have I never heard about that guy before? I don't, I wish I knew the answer. Like I, when I first started doing this, I was on Twitter a little bit and I did like the hashtag church history trivia. And I realized no one has ever even used that hashtag before. We, oh we my goodness. <laughs> But I was also like, that's kind of concerning. When I would look up the hashtag church history, I see lots of tweets by Catholics and Mormons and uh, mm -hmm. kind of a little bit more, uh, I don't want to be too mean, but they're a little more made up, if you know what I mean, a little bit more extra miracles and stuff happening kind of out there. And you wouldn't, you just, oh, maybe, maybe 5% of it was from evangelicals. And I was like, what is going on here that we don't really, and maybe we just don't like Twitter, but what is it that's keeping us from connecting really with this mm -hmm. subject? 
I, I wish I could just pinpoint something. I'm not sure if it's a mixture of new is always better or we need to focus on good theology. And it's well, as long as we correct the thinking, it sounds important where we came from. Or maybe we're scared of church history because there's like a thousand years there where the Catholic church is in charge of everything. And so we're like, well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I want to touch that too much because I know we put up an episode by Jean Gerson and he's a very interesting preacher. And when we put it up, someone kind of messaged us and was like, hey, you know, he's a Catholic, right? I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. he lived in the early 1400s. It'd be hard for him not to be, really, when you think about it. I mean, so I, I don't know what it is that makes us kind of afraid of that subject. Um, and I think a lot of times we get confused and we go, well, I'm reading, and, you know, a lot of people who are into it now, though, I'm reading a book by John Owen or I'm reading a book by uh, John Calvin Institute. So now I'm getting my church history. I'm like, you're getting the theology from that era. But if you don't understand the context of John Calvin, he was a priest at like the age of 12 and 14. And then he came out of that Catholic church around 19 and 20 after his dad died. And so when he talks about what's going on, he knows it from the inside. Like he was once Mm. on their side, you know what I'm saying? Like he's really explaining these subjects well from that perspective. If you don't understand all these little minutia details, it makes it much harder. It's much like scripture in the same way where we realize through church history over time, we went, hey, wait a second, we need to understand the context. One of the big players of that was John Gill, who was like, we need to understand that the Bible was written by, you know, Jewish people to Jewish people. We need to understand the Hebrew and stuff to get a better understanding of the New Testament. And the same way, understanding some of the theology, it helps when you understand uh, what they were talking about in their day. But I think a lot of times we pull it out from the 1500s, fly it today and go, ah, this is what I'm seeing. And it can do that, but it's not quite as good and then the other side of it too and like i said it's the encouraging stories the people and the lives that they lived are so encouraging we were talking about how like this is the family of god but i always think of it this way too like god loved those people when they were alive and since they're dead it doesn't mean suddenly god lost them we know that he still loves them they're still cherished they're still a part of that family and we can just grow from that in a way i think it's really encouraging you know most of the people hear our sermons and our podcasts and we first people told people about them we got this kind of vibe that like that's going to be a really cool academic podcast that people and you know mm-hmm. in a very high up ivory tower since they're going to like and there, there are lots of professors and people who do like our show but most of the people that we reach with our show are are moms that are homeschooling high school students um young guys working at the warehouse and stuff like that it reaches more laymen and regular people, I think, than anybody else, because there's just something really encouraging and rich and genuine in that old history. Mm-hmm. Elise, why do you think that we haven't seen as much of this in the church and like the evangelical church, particularly? Because, yeah, the particularly the Catholic church and the Greek Orthodox um, traditions would definitely <laughs> they they're all over their history. But why what do you what do you think about why it, maybe it's been lost a bit? I, I kind of feel like maybe it's a little bit of we think that we always have perfect theology wherever like at the moment we're, we're always working towards that perfectionism like we don't want to look at this person because they were a little bit off in this area and so we kind of discount the broader context of how they're mm-hmm. of what they're doing and so we always think like okay we, we want to make sure that we're right 100% but like nobody's right 100% all the time and so we end up discounting these people because in modern lenses, we go, well, that's kind of weird, even though it was, it was more of a, of a, of a mainline thought, a mainstream thought. And now mm-hmm. we go, hey, you know, it's kind of weird. We're not going to touch it. And we can't, we can't get out of that mindset where it's just like, oh, we don't want to fall into hot heresy by accident by looking at this, you know, thing, which when we look at it, when we look at all, all the things that they did, it's not that they were heretics. It's that they, they, they fall into things that they, 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 uh, 
they believe things that are not would not be things we believe today, but it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't completely eradicate their entire legacy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I also think there's something, well, there's, I, I guess I have <laughs> two thoughts. First, I don't think that we just want to take the time. I yeah. think like it takes time. I mean, you guys have talked about like, it's a lot of work to dig it out and to figure out what it's saying in modern day language. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it, I think there's a bit of, and we are definitely in a culture of ease and um, the quickest is the best. And, you know, like that mentality, obviously. And so, um, so I think that's one, you know, and I also think there's, I think you hit on something big, Troy, with the, um, the concern about Catholicism. I think there's this underlying tension um, amongst Protestants and, you know, maybe even extra, those of us who come out of, you know, the 1920-ish fundamentalism (laughs) um, branches that it's just not, it's too Catholic. Yeah, you know, and, um, you know, well, they were, you know, had all of those excesses in, you know, that particular in the medieval era, specifically, you know, and, and so everything like what you were even saying, Elise, that they said is kind of disregarded. And the reality is, you know, not only did God love them, um, God was working through them, and he was speaking through them to his people and to his church, you know, and so the likelihood that he will continue to speak them to them you know, is pretty good, especially if everything has, if the things have survived, you know, that's not a foolproof argument by yeah. any means, because some terrible stuff has survived too, <laughs> but like, but you know, like there, there really could truly be something there. Um, yeah. I, but I think, I think the Protestant reformation, I think the, the baby of church history sometimes got, you know, I think to a degree it got thrown out with the bathwater. So what voices has stood out to you all as you've kind of dug into all of these different sermons and into church history itself? You know, what is the what are the, who are the people that you have um, encountered that you have really like resonated with and you just really are excited to offer what they have to say? Probably number one would be Paris Reedhead. He's actually the first episode we ever did. And he, he does a sermon called 10 Shekels and a Shirt, which um, it actually, just in fairness, it starts a little bit slow because obviously they all read in KJV and this is a very long <laughs> passage that he goes through um, but once you kind of get into the heart of what he's saying he's talking about the dangers of humanism in the church and how that has influenced the way that people think and, and it was preached you know 50 plus years ago but it's just as relevant then and he kind of goes after at that time fundamentalism as well and things so he goes to you know liberalism and fundamentalism and just the dangers of humanism uh, and you, you 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 finish it and you're like oh my gosh I didn't realize this is all the things that I've <laughs> I've been so inculcated. <laughs> I need sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> um, and then uh, probably, let's see, uh, James A. Stewart, which if you go and you look up James A. Stewart, you come up with James S. Stewart. I think they're both from Scotland. Um, but I haven't done James S. Stewart. But it's very difficult because I, I, was, I was doing research on these, on these two guys. And I was like, man, so they lived, this guy lived like two different lives. And I'm like, it's two different <laughs> <laughs> But he, he is super, like just his, I, just to, I mean, his sermon was really cool too. Just the way that they bring in like stories and illustrations, because they live such interesting lives that like, they'll, they'll just come in for things from personal experience that just like is, is really powerful. Um, but just his, his story as being the first pastor to go behind the, uh, the Iron Curtain um, after mm-hmm. the, you know, after everything was said and done after World War II. Um, and he just has a really incredible story. And then you have J. Eben Orr, who did 
everything under the sun. Like this guy wrote like 60 plus books. He uh, helped raise um, like war relief efforts for during the Chinese Civil War, went over and like traveled all over China and things like that, which was not the mm -hmm. safest thing to do. And then he ends up serving in World War II, going back to the places that he actually just was raising war relief efforts for, uh, served in some of the mm -hmm. roughest parts of the war. So these guys just have incredible backstories. And those are probably my, my top three highlights so far. Um, they're just really, it's just really cool to see the history behind it and how that influences their preaching and things like that. So I had this idea that all of them would be tough as nails guys like Martin Luther who hammer uh, the 95 theses into the wall and they say like, I, here I can stand, I can do no other. And I thought all the pastors of the past would be like that. And they would just be these tough guys that we would realize how small we are compared to them. And, and some of them are, you know, you have John Knox and John mm -hmm. Calvin and Martin Luther, and these guys are tough. And there is a reason we remember them in their era. But there are lots of guys who aren't like that at all. There are poets like Richard Sibbs, who are just these gentle hearted guys who love people, love making music. Uh, there are people who are academic like B.B. Warfield, who just love working at Princeton Theological Seminary. And they had to be there for 10 years because his wife was sick. So he literally never left the campus. Very academic guys like that who write all these books. Then you have these other guys like Hudson Taylor and David Livingston, mm -hmm. David Livingston going to places no one has literally ever been before, at least no European, sorry, has ever been before. And he's writing down these places and sending back like, I, you won't believe the waterfall I just saw. And you have Hudson Taylor is just diving head first into the middle of China during the Taiping Rebellion, one of the bloodiest civil wars of all time. And he's just encouraging his people that we're going to do a good thing for God. And I just realized like, man, there is such, there's, some of them are in government and politics. Some of them are involved in business. They're just very different people. Um, there's no one fit person, one kind of person that God is going to use. It just really seemed to be a matter of, did they surrender whatever talents they had to God? Some people are like Charles Spurgeon and they're preaching like eight times a week. They're running a Bible college. They're running an orphanage and they're just going and going and going. And at the same time, at the exact same place in the world, Alexander McLaren, he just preaches once a week. He's very effective in his preaching and God used that one mm. talent he had to serve him. It doesn't have to look a certain way. As long as it's for God, God's going to see it and use it. And that, that really uh, encouraged me and kind of empowered me. Just not like, I don't have to fit some kind of standard. I just need to do what I'm doing right now for God. Uh, the other thing too, that really stood out to me uh, about these guys and the guys I kind of look up to, I mentioned some of them. Um, there are people like Christmas Evans, who was illiterate until he was 17. He read the Bible, learned to read from the Bible, basically. Hmm. And then he goes off and preaches some of the most literary imaginative sermons about God I've ever seen. They're incredible. And then there are people like Hudson Taylor. I, we lived in China for a couple of years. We actually lived in mm -hmm. Hangzhou, which was Hudson Taylor's capital. So probably just that feeling. I'm like, I, I've been to the same place as you've been. He really stands mm -hmm. out to me. And our listeners, if we have one group of people, one set of sermons that we always recommend, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer sermons, um, the guy who does it, he really does a good job of just bringing to, bringing to life the character of Bonhoeffer. And they, we always recommend, if you can catch those, um, we've had so many people say, I didn't understand what you were doing. And I picked up that Bonhoeffer sermon and now I totally get the need for this. Hmm. Yeah, when I listened to um, some sermons from the getting ready for this podcast, I I was struck by uh, Watchman Mies. Uh, there's a sermon called "Why the Waste" and yeah. uh, or "Why This Waste" or something like that, and um, was just like I've never I, I've heard of him, and I I could have told you who he was, but I wouldn't have been able to you know I've, yeah. I've never engaged any of his books or any of his you know writings or you know anything like that. And I was just floored by 
just how beautiful it was and the depth of reflection and just like really great stuff. And um, so I, I was really interested that you guys had included him and like, are you making an effort to have more diverse voices than just, you know, like Anglo-Saxons or, you know, like how, where, what are you, what's your approach with that? It's very difficult. Uh, it, we try to include as many people from, I mean, my goal would be to have everybody from every continent and everybody from every <laughs> well, of course. So that's, that's evangelical, you know, that we can rely on their doctrine. The hardest part though, is before the 1900s, I even, even people that you would think like William Carey or Adoniram Judson, these very famous names that you're like, yeah, I've heard of them. You would think it would be easy to find a sermon by them. And it's not because just not a lot of people wrote down everything they did. There are lots of really famous preachers and people like that who you just, if no one wrote it down, you don't have it. And that mm -hmm. also is the same problem with finding people from other countries and from other backgrounds or from more oppressed classes or, you know, it, it would, mm -hmm. I would love to have more, you know, uh, preachers who were preaching to the, to the churches of slavery and stuff in the 1800s in America. I think they have probably some really interesting things to say, but if nobody wrote it down, you're limited by what you do have. And that's the same thing mm -hmm. with, uh, there's a lot, I always am looking for different missionaries and people who were maybe like in the church of Korea in the early 1800, or late 1800s and these different places where I'm like, man, it'd be so cool if we could hear their so stories uh, and their sermons, but it, we just can't because nobody wrote them down. So we do the best we can with our show. Mm -hmm. We really try to reach out and we'll have people on like, uh, we had John Sung and Watchman Nee and we've had a few different uh, African-American preachers from those eras too. But it, it, we've had people say like, man, it seems like a lot of people are coming from the same place. I'm like, I would love to, I'd love yeah. to expand out and do different things. We, we pick people that are already kind of off the beaten um, path. We've done sermons by Jonathan Swift, Soren Kierkegaard, a guy named mm -hmm. Wyatt Sterling who lived at the bottom of the earth down at the <laughs> America and he was literally living on an island by himself for a year and no one even knew if he was alive like we do try to reach these guys who are just kind of off the beaten path a little bit but mm -hmm. you, you can only go so far before you're like and there's no content here I don't have any I can't make a sermon out there so so if anybody is listening and exactly. they come across and they know of the, those sermons then feel free to forward them on to revive yeah. studios because you guys would be very interested <laughs> in featuring them <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even some famous people like john huss you know you would think that's a name if you if you don't know him very well he got mm -hmm. burned 100 years before the reformation but he promised that a reformation would come this guy you would think okay he's a very famous preacher his sermons do exist but they're locked up in like ancient czech in a library in europe so i mean what do you, you would think mm -hmm. even someone like who's very famous we don't have them there's this uh group of people in ethiopia in the 1300s who kind of have their own version of a reformation mm -hmm. in africa and and it's um we, we have no sermons by them we can't really do a whole lot we don't know mm. so it makes it really hard to to figure out exactly what was going on so it is one of the fallbacks of church history is you don't always get the story but the kind of flip side of that too is you don't have to worry about these guys going down in scandals because their scandals are already known so it's not that's <laughs> true training me at this point <laughs> so okay so just one final question and um if and you already mentioned Bonhoeffer but if someone listening only had the time so we talked about time earlier being kind of an issue for people so if they only really had the time to listen to like two of the sermons that you all have featured which ones would you suggest I already said Watchman me why the waste so <laughs> but what about what about you all uh, well, the guys that I just mentioned, actually, I, I mean, I like, I like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is great. He's done one of the most recent episodes we've done. Um, and that's pretty cool. But if I had to choose like two that I'd be like, okay, these are the guys you have to listen to. 
Paris Reedhead and his, his, his thing on humanism, incredible, life-changing. People have listened to, apparently there's people that go, I listen to sermons whenever I'm feeling like I need it. Like once a year, it's like <laughs> this purge. <I> <laughs> my, <laughs> and it, it's so I'm like, I could, I could feel that though. I feel like that's gonna be one I go back to as well. Um, and then uh, James A. Stewart again, I thought his, and just, he draws you in, it's, it's like, he's got so many stories that he tells, but they're so relatable. Because sometimes you hear stories and you're like, I have no idea what you're trying to say with this story. Mm. All of his stories, you're like, oh my gosh, like I have to, I, I understand this, I get it, it relates. And you're like, it, it just, they're so impactful. And so that, yeah, those are the two I, I would say hands down, check out. Okay, what about you, Troy? That is tough. I mean, that's like, you gotta take out, you know, you have 90 kids, but you only get to pick two. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> We've done 90 different sermons and episodes and, and some really great preachers. I, I don't think you can go wrong with, um, I, I did say Dietrich Bonhoeffer is I highly encourage that one. I think he really, uh, the, the gentleman who does it brings them to life very well. We, we never had anybody, rarely have anybody go, I didn't like that one. Um, we have a Charles Spurgeon that will be out next week, I think is going to be very good. Any of the Charles Spurgeons, mm. and they're kind of classics and uh, but he is the prince of preachers for a reason. So I, I do think those are going to be very good ones that you can do too. And if I can throw a third one out there, it's not it, David Livingston. Also, we did a, mm. one on him over the summer, highly recommend it. It's, it's a very interesting episode. He kind of tells his journey through Africa and the people he met and uh, what it was like to preach the gospel to him. And I think it just is really eye opening and kind of challenges a lot of what we think uh, we know about these people and, and they're kind of the way they live their life. And you go, no, I, wow. Okay. I kind of got that. I, that would be really hard to go through. Hmm. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Well, so if you're listening, there you go. You have a playlist of about six or seven <laughs> different yeah. uh, sermons that three of your brothers and sisters in Christ say are excellent and you should listen to. Okay. So I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us and, um, taking time to tell us about your ministry and for the chat about church history and why it should matter and why maybe it hasn't for the evangelical church recently or somewhat recently. And um, yeah, I just really want to thank you for your time. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We enjoyed it. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you for it. For those of you who are listening um, for joining us and please be sure to join us next week when we discuss issues of God and culture and if you enjoyed our this podcast and other podcasts please be sure to subscribe on um, whichever platform you use thanks so much and have a great day This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.